This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Glad to be joined across the way by Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. A lot has happened in the world of college football since we were last spoke about the college game together. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty well. I want to say thanks for the uh, the PTO last week. Uh, definitely needed it over here. Um, and yeah, you know, even before that, there was just the trade bonanza. So you know, really, we're closing out the college season. You know, we've really got the if we're on the home stretch here. We're we're looking towards those conference championships and the playoffs, and and really, there's some. You know, there's at this point in time, you know, we're looking at a few fresh faces that that could really be making some waves. So why don't we get down into it? Yeah, why don't we get right into it? Like you said, you know, we are now in the home stretch of the college football season. You know, mid-November here, we are closing in on championship week and then the bowl season, the playoffs, and all that fun stuff as the pressure rises. You know, we had a chance to see some of these prospects really in big moments, and I'm kind of excited and looking forward to it. So let's jump right in and and, and start the quarterback position because I, I really think now the quarterback is a take stock, take inventory every single week because – well, it's not like last year where the, the names who we thought were going to be there dramatically fell off, like Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell. I do think this year we've seen Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are still at the top, and even this past weekend, C.J. Stroud, 297 yards and five touchdowns. Bryce Young, 209 yards, three touchdowns, getting the win against Ole Miss there in terms of Alabama, Ohio State taking care of business. They're still towards the top, if not the top, most likely at one, two in terms of the quarterback ranks. But I do think there are some holes that have started being, you know, poked in both of them. And maybe that's just human nature. You know, the longer somebody's at the top of rankings, we just naturally start to critique and and more warts kind of just come to the surface of these players. But I do think there's more questions about those two now than we had maybe before the season started, even though I don't think a lot has changed. I just think it's more people emphasizing those warts uh, rather than talking about what they do do well. Uh, So maybe we just start there for a second. You know, like even without doing like a deep dive on them this year, We've we've had conversations, you know, and, and I know on the recent, you know, prospect to the pros, I, I think they had on Bruce Feldman and, and Dave Brugler was talking to him and and they were kind of saying that like the word around the streets is I know it's so easy to say is that the following year's quarterback class is starting to generate more buzz than this. And we kind of had that conversation like a month or two ago that that was starting to come to fruition as Caleb Williams and Drake May were playing so well. Do you kind of see it that way? Like, is it CJ Stroud and Bryce Young just being pushed to the top because of necessity? And do you think we're we're headed towards both of those guys going top of the draft, or or we could be in for not like a fall like last year, but maybe just not where we see these guys go at the top top of the draft? Well, we have to remember, like, every year does not have the quote unquote generational talent, right? Like, not every year has you know, a quarterback prospect that you can, you know, hold up as, um, you know, worthy of a top five picks per se, right? Like if you're just not 
not taking positional value into account, but just looking at like maybe a player talent, right? You know, you'll see some edge, you'll see some OT and the quarterbacks will go early because teams need quarterbacks. And I think that's where we're going to be at with, with Stroud and young. If you, if you were to really just do a raw talent breakdown of players in this draft, like, I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe young, I think in my mind could potentially be into the top five, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's other players in this draft that, you know, I think, you know, from how they, how well they play their position relative, to their peers are at a level above Stroud and Young and, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean Stroud and Young are, are bad prospects. It's just, you know, and it is, I, I, I totally get the, you know, the, the, the getting carried away about the future years class because, you know, newer is always better, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, it, if you were to tell me Caleb Williams and Drake may were coming out in this year's class, I'd like them probably more. And, and really Caleb Williams, because I don't know, I'm, I'm looking at both of them. I'm not looking at one as like, I'm not looking at young and Stroud and thinking that they should be further ahead or anything like that. I'm looking at them all as to, you know, how do they win? What do they bring to the, to the table? How would they, you know, how would they be, uh, you know, how would they be helping NFL teams and, and what do they bring to the league? And I think Caleb, Will, Caleb Williams is like, I, I think he's a superstar, man. I, I just, the type of stuff he does, his his perception of everything around him going on on the field with, with O-line, D-line and, you know, where the pocket's collapsing or where the pressure's from, where his receivers are, where the leverage is and just how to integrate all of that. And then just the easy, easy, easy arm talent that he's got it it you're going to hear the comps all the time but it is very mahomesian right like there's there's few players that have that innate sense of where they are on, on the field and everybody else's and and how all those moving pieces happen all at the same time and and it's just a r- rare and special trait for williams and when you have that at the quarterback you become a playmaker um and i i, I think the the one thing that we might keep an eye on is is what Caleb Williams does during structure you know we've always get really carried away and overweight how players play out of structure and that wows us and that gets us more excited but that's going to be I think where we start looking at and maybe maybe you could say CJ Stroud does a little bit better there but you're also talking about CJ Stroud doing that at Ohio State with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ubeka and um you know, and, and just all of the weapons and, and clean pockets and open receivers. And so it's, you know, maybe he plays better in structure, but also he's, he's got a little bit of easier tools. So that's a long way of saying, I don't think it's crazy to think uh, the 2024 class at quarterback is going to be better, but I also don't think that's a knock on Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. I just, I don't think they're necessarily elevated beyond what, you know, further than what they need to be. We don't need to get carried away. And I think we are doing that when it comes to players like Will Levis, for example. And and we keep hearing that teams are falling in love with them. Keep, keep hearing that somewhere there, teams just want to, um, you know, they love his intangibles or how he interviews. They like his brain. And I don't know. I it just, you know, 11 for 23, 109, like lost to Vanderbilt. I I've come on here a lot of times and I said, I just don't see it. And we know teams will make mistakes all the time and they they'll, 
elevate players like this when they shouldn't. And I think we might be on that track with Will Levis if the draft Knicks are, you know, with their ears to the ground, are are right about what they're hearing. Yeah, I mean, I think here's the thing that, you know, I think it's interesting. And you, you talked about Caleb Williams and Drake May. And on the on that last episode of Prospect of the Pros, they were saying that if they were both draft eligible this year, they think they'd be the first two quarterback prospects taken. And I think I'm right there with them because, like I said, as these years went on, I think you start to see some questions arise in terms of Bryce Young's game and in terms of, you know, CJ Stroud's game. And, and while it's not really fair to them, I also think part of it lies in the fact that we're seeing shorter type quarterbacks really struggling in the NFL right now. Russell Wilson's looked the worst he ever has. Uh, Kyler Murray, there's a lot of question marks going on with Kyler Murray and, and Bryce Young shouldn't, and Baker Mayfield, we know what, what, you know what's happened with him. So it's not like Bryce Young should really be pigeonholed into that, but, but, it, but it's human nature. It, it kind of happens. And then the fact that there's been so few traditional pocket passing quarterbacks succeed lately in the draft circuit. And then the one who did last year, Mac Jones is having a horrendous second season kind of hurts the CJ Stroud, you know, thought process of he's in more of a traditional pocket passing quarterback. So I think right now what's also happened in the NFL is also making us critique these guys a little bit more. And then a guy like Will Levis is such a fascinating case study because I think I could see this going one of two ways. For the longest time, we were told that Drew Locke was going to be a first-round pick, right? Until draft night, and then he and then he wasn't, right? Every single mock draft had Drew Locke in the first round, every single one. Some as high as 10, 8, 15, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he fell all the way to what it was in the 40s or in the 50s. On the flip side, there's Daniel Jones, right? A lot of question marks about Daniel Jones coming out. Some like them as maybe a mid-first round pick. Some people like them as a mid-second round pick or somewhere in between there. The Giants fell firm, and he got pushed all the way up the board to pick six. And if the Giants don't take him there, where does he go? We'll never know. Maybe the commanders, you know, there was talk that they liked him enough. Maybe they would have taken him over Dwayne Haskins. We, we don't know that scenario. So I do feel like the Will Levis stuff can go one of two ways. Like, I feel like it could be the Drew Locke scenario where the toolsy player, you know, people are pushing him up too much. And then when push comes to shove, he's going to fall to where he probably belongs in round two. And then, or the Daniel Jones where the other stuff, the intangibles and that stuff push him up, even though maybe the product on the field shouldn't match what, what we would consider a first round pick. Like I know he doesn't have a lot of great skill players. You know, Wendell Robinson is the only guy he's going to play with, you know, and that was last year that probably will be an NFL caliber player. But I mean, they lost to Vanderbilt this week. They were 17 point favorites. Like that can't happen. If you're talking about being a guy who's a guy who's going to go top 10 or top five in the NFL draft as a quarterback, like those type of performances really, really stand out to me when, you know, it's one thing to not be able to overcome like Alabama or Georgia, but Vanderbilt 17 point favorites and you lose that game. Like, that that's one that kind of really sticks out. So it's going to be interesting with the Will Levis because he seems to have a lot of support inside the draft community from the, the insiders who are connected to the NFL scouts and stuff, but it just doesn't match what we're, what we're seeing week in and week out. We're seeing like rather pedestrian and we know there's traits there, but we could sit out about a bunch of guys that there's traits there you know, that we that we don't even know if they're going to be in the draft anymore. Guys like Anthony Richardson and other players that the, the Levis 
conversation is going to be a fascinating one. He's going to probably win people over at like the senior bowl because he's eligible for the senior bowl, obviously. And and he's probably going to make somebody fall for him. Right. And and then we'll see how it goes, but I think he's probably going to be overdrafted. We'll see if where Stroud and Bryce Young end up. If they're overdrafted, do teams start looking ahead? We know they do, but will will they base the 2024 class and what might be ahead in their thinking in terms of the 2020 redraft? I think that's a dangerous game for teams to make. You really have to be in a long rebuild process. Is there a lot of teams that really do that? I'm not really sure. And you don't really know where you're going to be. Like the Giants are on their way to picking in the 20s. Like nobody saw that coming, right? So you can't always play that game of like, oh, we can wait to next year. We like what's going to maybe be at the top of the quarterback class the following year out. I think that's a dangerous game to play. You know, and then, you know, after the big three, we're kind of talking about some interesting guys who have risen this year. We've talked a lot about Hendon Hooker. He Tennessee offense really rebounded this past week. You know, Hooker, 355 yards, three touchdowns, 50 yards rushing, another touchdown. Obviously, we know the question marks about him, the age, you know, a lot of half-field reads in that Tennessee offense. What, How high is the NFL going to view him? And then Michael Penix, we've talked about him earlier in the year. He just continues this week a big, big win by Washington over Oregon. He had 408 yards and two touchdowns. Jeff, any thoughts on Hooker or Penix or anything else that you want to, you know, circle back to on Levis? Well, you know, with – well, maybe circle back on Young, you know, when we talk about maybe not being the most excited about Stroud and Young. And honestly, it's not about other players. It's really about Bryce Young. I mean, he's he's looked pretty rough for a few quarters, you know, here and there. I and mean, he he turns it on in the fourth quarter and he kind of makes his Houdini comebacks. But, you know, it, it's not like he's been consistently solid. Um, you know, and, and I think with Penix and Hooker, I, I feel like the, you know, that's one where you you know, we're, I think we're craving excitement here. And, and those are, again, just names that we can, can start propping up. But when you start kind of going down, you know, into the brass tacks and, and nitty gritty, you just, you know, I think we're talking more like players that could be a round two picks and more than, you know, players that you select round one to potentially solve the problem that your franchise has been looking for. That that's kind of where I land on them. It just in the in a quick nutshell before, so we don't go too far, too 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 long today. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I'm right there with you. But I, I do think it's going to be fun to kind of continue. Obviously, we know Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are going to be playing big games the rest of the year. We'll see if Tennessee and Hendon Hooker can get back in the mix. Uh, I'm not sure, like guys like Levis and and that. I'm not sure what more could happen. Right? We, yeah, he Senior might have a, yeah. what. Senior Bowl, right? Yeah, like, that's that, it. Like, that's, I don't think anything, exactly. I don't think anything during the regular season is going to dramatically be different than what we've seen. He might have a spiked week here, but then he might have a bad week here, right? That's kind of what we've seen all year. So for him, it's the Senior Bowl selling himself in, in that setting to a team that buys all in. Uh, I think Stroud and Bryce Young, they'll have some opportunities down the home stretch here for some big games. You know, potentially, you know, obviously Bryce Young doesn't look like Alabama will be in the playoff mix, but, you know, we'll we'll still see, you know, them, you know, and, and some moments there. And then Hooker, can Tennessee get back into the thick of things? I'd like to see him uh, in another big moment in a big setting, you know, to kind of see him there again. Obviously, Alabama, great. Georgia, not so great. You know, it would be nice to kind of see him in another big moment to see how he performs as well. Let's spend this over to the running backs. I want to start with Eric Gray. 211 yards and two touchdowns this past week. 
the whispers from the from the draft insiders people like Dane and Bruce Feldman is is that the NFL kind of likes Eric Gray a lot, and this is not surprising because he does have that versatility as a receiver and as a runner who can make big plays. I, I we know that there's some limitations, right? We've talked about like not the best vision, not the best patience at times, but really athletic. Uh, good pass catcher, good athleticism, good speed. He's kind of put it together this year after we were kind of disappointed last year that he didn't seize control of that sooner backfield uh, and Kennedy Brooks was still the guy. But it's sounding like that he's an early day free type player. I think that kind of makes sense, Like, right? There's some words to his game, but he, but he's an athletic player who's got some juice, who's got some receiving chops. You know, I think he's an interesting player that I know I'll be higher on, I think, than than probably the consensus. But if he gets some round four draft capital, I'll be kind of excited about that. I think his skill set warrants that. So he's an interesting name. Chase Brown, who I know you brought up a couple of weeks ago, uh, he's on the NFL radar. He's he's being talked about in that round four, round five mix. He, he had 98 yards and two touchdowns this year. And kind of looking over, we know his rushing stats are gaudy. But what I've started to see is – he's at least been able to be functional. He's not going to be a plus in the past game, but 23 catches this year, 173 yards and three touchdowns. You know, he's probably going to get to like 30 catches on the year. Like it's at least, at least it's in his toolbox as at least a guy who could be functional in that, right? Because sometimes we just don't even see these guys get an opportunity. And Chase Brown, who's kind of emerging this year and has himself, you know, in the draft mix now, you know, to see him at least be functional in the past game, I, I think opens that up. And then Kendry Miller is, is a guy who now is kind of skyrocketing, you know, updraft boards. I think he's on that round three, round four radar. Can he push his way into definitive day two mix? I think that's to be determined. TCU's got games, big moments left still this year that that could happen. But I talked a little bit about him last week, uh, again this past week against Texas, 138 yards and a touchdown. Any thoughts there, Jeff, on Gray, Brown, or Kendra Miller? Yeah, I mean, if if we're going to talk about players that I'd be the most excited about, it'd be Kendra Miller right now. Um, because, you know, what he's – I mean, first of all, TCU, you know, I mean, he's an integral part of why they're playing well right now, uh, not missing a beat with uh, um, with Zach Evans, you know, leaving and, and him just stepping right in. You know, I, I think I've made my – opinions on Eric Gray known. Um, I think I did a deep dive on Chase Brown too earlier in the season. And I don't have anything further updates on that just to see how much he's potentially evolved. But every time I check in on on Gray, I notice more of a space player than a, a well-rounded running back that, you know, could really carry a load or, you know, run between the tackles, you know, take take on the lead of a backfield at the NFL level. But I don't think we, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be an exciting fantasy prospect, right? We see, you know, and I'll probably get roasted for this, but I think, you know, Travis Etienne, you know, fits that similar profile, a player who's so much better in space than he is in trying to decipher traffic and leverage and inside reads and, and earning tough yards. And, and, you know, I mean, that's still okay. Like he, they're still helping their team and, and they can even still, you know, play that lead guy in a pinch. I just don't know that they're not going to be someone you, a team will rely on year over year over year, like a Nick Chubb, right. Or a Saquon Barkley, or, you know, they're not, is he, 
they're they're not going to be able to to sort of shoulder the load and and keep the team on on schedule but they will provide really big splash plays and and i think gray can be that to an nfl team i just think he's going to be better served in that tony pollard style role than he would be in any lead back role and and day three is fine for me for there like you know i think that was a tony tony pollard's draft capital he's added value to the to the cowboys i you know, I, I think that'd be fine. I actually do think, you know, Kendra Miller probably could get drafted ahead of him. And as well as, you know, my favorites, Blake Corum and Deuce Vaughn. And and I think Deuce Vaughn is going to be like the really intriguing one there because of his size and frame. It's, it's a big question how he's going to be used in the NFL. But what we've seen with players like Wandale, it's, it's less about physical prototype measurements and it's more about you know weapons right like what can you bring what what can you what dimension can you add to my my team my offense um and i i think vaughn kind of like james cook did and, and why buffalo decided to take a shot on james cook is he's a player that can add a very versatile uh dynamic big play element um and he does the little things while that coach is like and so I really think that in my mind, like Deuce Vaughn is one of my big draft risers just over and over and over again, just seeing how reliable he is for K-State. Yeah, I mean, a decade ago, Deuce Vaughn would have no chance to be a top 100 pick. But I think I think we we have left those size like standards that like immediately cancel somebody out for round one or, or top 100. I think they're gone now. Right. So I think there's going to be a team that all it takes is one or two creative minds. And there's more than that in the NFL right now who will look at a guy like Deuce Vaughn and think this is a guy who, yeah, we're going to give him 10 to 12 touches a game, but this guy's going to bring a new element to our offense, a different style of element. And a team is more than willing to invest a third round pick in a guy who they think can have a 10 to 12 touch role a game. Right. So like, I think a team's going to look at Deuce Vaughn and say, yeah, he can be a 10, 12, 13 touch guy in a variety of ways. He could add an explosiveness to our offense. That's missing. Uh, You know, like would we be really that surprised if a team like the chiefs, you know, if they if they're done with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and they really like Isaiah Pacheco, says, but okay, but let's give him, you know, like, you know, right now they have Jerk McKinnon doing, you know, that pass catching work. Well, if they brought in a guy like Deuce Vaughn to pair with Pacheco to be their duo, like that even gives them more versatility, right? Because McKinnon only plays on pass downs. Like obviously Vaughn could be a runner as well. So all it takes is one or two teams that sees the uniqueness of him and every team is looking for a playmaker. So I think Deuce Vaughn's not going to get out of day two. I don't, I don't think Blake Corum's getting out of day two. Uh, you know, I think those guys are, are going to be in the mix on day two. I think it's a strong running back class, a lot of different styles, uh, you know, that we're going to see in that top 100, top 120 picks. If you, if you stretch it out to like, you know, the early portion of day three, uh, and then another name right there we've talked a lot about, and and while I haven't been as high on him, I'm kind of excited to go back and, and, and do more research on this year and see if I'm missing anything on Zach Charbonnet because all he continues to do is put up monster stats every single week. Uh, others are higher on him than me, uh, but he's right in that mix too in the round three, round four mix. And I'll keep coming back to this. If guys like Brian Robinson 
and Damian Pierce and Zamir White are going in that late round three through round four, I, I think Charbonnet is going to find his way to that spot as also because it's just like he's done enough in his collegiate career. He was a big-time recruit. So it's not like his measurements and his testing and his athleticism are going to be – not on the same level of guys like Brian Robinson and Damian Pierce. He's going to be right there with much better production, you know? So, so I think he's probably going to end up being in that mix as well. And I'm kind of excited to go back and, and do a little bit more of a, a dive on deeper dive on him from this year. Cause I know what I said last year. I know what I said in the preseason, you know, before the season started, but he's just continued to do it. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see if I, if I'm missing anything or I still see the same player, and then I believe it's a little bit more scheme-based, that production, than, than maybe him. But maybe I'm missing something on that. Uh, you think, Jeff, do you think yeah. Charbonnet's probably right there in, in that mix too? Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, I think Brian Robinson is kind of like a good, just rough draft capital investment kind of comp. Um, you know, even just kind of from a talent level, like definitely a player who can be on an NFL roster and an NFL contributor. But I don't – I still think a lot of what we're seeing is – um, just a really good fit between a player and a scheme. And hey, I mean, if if uh, he goes to an NFL team that's, um, you know, leveraging his talents in the same way, like we could see big games. I just I don't think he's you know completely well rounded guy. Um, you know, similar to how I said about Gray, they're just different profiles, but you know, do some things really well, and what they do well, you know, they're good at. Um, just not somebody who's uh, can stand solo um, and really do everything you ask them for. They're, they're going to need to be, you know, supplemented. They're they're like really good role players in an NFL backfield, just not headliners. Um, and that's fine. And I think for Corum, I think I think we might be looking at a headliner here. Um, that's one of the ones that you know we we went into this year talking about. I think like a top five or something like that. And you're and you're, you're looking at, you know. Gibbs and and Bijan naturally right like they're they're the top two pretty easily for me and then we talked about guys like Tucker and Evans and Bigsby and I don't really know how you could take a look at what Blake Corum's doing like I mean I still think Evans is a great player and he's he's talented but I don't know if you could take a look at the years that they're having and you know I think Corum's talented too and and look at look at their place and and just not think quorum's probably worked his way into the top three like am i overreacting there or or is he kind of worked his way up for you too yeah i think i think the top three is kind of solidified but i do think now i think a chain is going to be the third one just from what i'm hearing from from the people who have the best intel so i think it'll be b john and gibbs are the clear one too i think a chain speed will make him the next guy off the board but then I kind of think now it's up for grabs. I think Blake Corum could go as high as the fourth. I don't think Bigsby, Sean Tucker, and Evans have lived up to the expectations. I mean, especially Evans. I mean, I know there's a lot to like about his game in terms of raw traits and tools, but I mean, his own team doesn't even think that he's the guy who should be carrying the workload. So it's hard to think that the NFL is going to think, I listen, and I get it. They, they liked Ramondre Stevenson, even though he didn't have a big role in college, but they liked him as the fourth, a fourth round pick, right? They're going to like, you know, you know, uh, Rayshon Johnson out of Texas as a date for repick who wasn't the guy in college because he was playing behind B. John Robinson. 
it's going to be hard. Have we ever seen a scenario where they were all in on a running back in like the top 50 who wasn't even the guy on his own team in college? I can't remember one as long as I've been following the draft circles. So maybe Gibson, maybe a Kamara kind of like, those are the kind of players that are jumping into my head at the moment. And I mean, am I, am I, am I forgetting wrong? Like Kamara fell to like the early third, which I I think they're both, both about early thirds. And and Hey, I think that's probably what we're looking at with Zach Evans at the moment, which is, is kind of sad to say a hundred percent agree, but that's not where we were, right? Like if he was going to be in that top three, top four mix, he would have had to be in that like top 40, top 50 range. And I think now we're talking more, he could be a third round guy because of those tools. But I I just don't see a scenario where a team's going to say he's a top 50 player anymore. But I could see a scenario where Blake Corum does pushes that. Mm-hmm. So I think the top three are kind of, for the most part, you know, kind of s- separated a little bit for whatever reason. Maybe Corum should be right there with A-Chain. It sounds like from, you know, the people who are, are, are on the inside a little bit, you know, obviously with ears to the ground a lot more. Uh, it sounds like A-Chain is there as, as the third guy, and then it's a little bit up for grabs after that. But I think Quorum has to be considered. I think Tucker has fallen, fallen a little bit this mm-hmm. year. Uh, Bigsby has been up and down. And then Evans is the one that really, I think, has hurt his stock the most because there were plenty of people that had Evans at number two after B. John when the year started, ahead of Gibbs, ahead of some of these other guys. Based on what we expected this year, we knew that, you know, they like to ride one guy there. That's that's the, his coaching philosophy. Yeah, it just hasn't been Zach Evans well, since early in the is, year. And and I think, you know, we're we're doing we're mixing Debbie Slant in here, here and there a little bit when we talk about players relative to their peers. But, you know, I think it's hard to say because Quinshawn Judkins is very, very good. And if they have a preference to ride one guy, you know, he might be the better player. But the I mean, when I watch Evans and every time I just kind of look at a few of his plays, you know, from the weekend, he he has he has everything that I still absolutely loved going into the season. It's it's not it's not him as a player that's not doing well. Um, and so I, I don't think it'd be crazy for uh you know one of those contending teams to to do like like green bay with aj dillon or or buffalo with james cook right like get fit into that end of round two when a team sees him as like a missing piece to their backfield element that could help they're ready to add and invest in the running back position to make their run so that might be where i you know i think we're seeing end of day two early day three for a lot of these guys here yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Let's let's transition to the wide receivers. And I don't really I'm gonna bring them all up because I don't really think anything I think there was a lot more to talk about the quarterback and the running back position. The things that stood out for me, Jalen Hyatt, a big bounce back seven, one forty six and one. I think he's now right in the mix uh with uh you know Quinton Johnson, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, uh Jordan Addison, you know, Keisha Mbuti is still gonna be in the top fifty mix. I think I think Jalen Hyatt is now squarely in the radar. Obviously comes with some questions as as basically a one year wonder. Uh but but he he's continued to put up a monster statistical season. Uh, Marvin Mims, four catches, 98 yards. I feel like he's fallen a little bit this year. I don't think he's in the mix anymore to be a top two round guy. I think he's more, can he, can he still make it into round three or does he slide into somewhere on the early portion of day three? Jermaine Burden, I'm not even sure Jermaine Burden declares anymore. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of where I think this is headed. He had a five for 50 and one, but I could totally see him going back to Alabama and seeing if he can maybe elevate his stock because I'm just not sure 
right now. He, I don't know if he has enough pedigree for what he, for what he hasn't done this year to get drafted really high without putting up better production. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, who I talked a little bit about last week, is a guy I want to get some eyes on because I think Mel Kuyper had him at like number seven on his wide receiver list in, in terms of his top 10. And that's pretty high. Uh, and he's he's pretty new to, you know, in terms of, you know, I haven't seen him on many rankings that high. So this past week, seven catches, 59 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that was against Alabama. And then Quinton Johnson three catches, 66 yards and a touchdown. And the more and more as this year has kind of played itself out, I could see a scenario where Quinton Johnson is the first wide receiver taken because the size, the athleticism, the other guys have kind of came back to the pack a little bit. Questions about Smith and the Jigba. Can he play outside? He's been hurt this whole year. So many questions about, you know, uh, Keishon Booty, obviously. And then Jordan Addison, totally different mm-hmm. style of player than Quinton Johnson. If I was going to bet on this, I think Quinton Johnson would be my pick that when the when the dust settles to be wide receiver one uh, with Addison, my my maybe number two option if, if a team's looking for that style, you know, player. Uh, any any thoughts on any of these guys or anything about the wide receiver position just in general? Because I, I do think I, there's nothing um, specifically from this week that really generates a lot of discussion. I'm right there. And I think Addison's a really good player. It's again just his role and what he's going to contribute, and you know, to be worth a early day one pick, you know, you've got to basically be Cooper cup in the slot. Right. And, you know, that's not to say that Jordan Addison couldn't evolve his game the way that we've seen players like Justin Jefferson do that. It's just, that's a projection that I'm not necessarily comfortable making where I do think Quentin Johnston does show all those tools. It's just not every week where, you know, they're on display to see because of, the way TCU's playing and running. And that's that's fine in my book. I'm okay with that. You know, I think if you were to look at betting odds, it's probably somewhere between Addison, Booty, and and maybe Johnston, but you know, probably Addison out there. And you know, I I don't know if if you're gonna I'm not a sports betting kind of guy, but you know, if you're gonna throw 20 bucks on it, I don't know why you wouldn't throw 20 bucks on Jalen Hyatt. Just I think the speed is there and and we know NFL teams will overpay for that speed. And just with the way that he's absolutely erupted with, you know, I, it, it will probably depend on how, if, if Tennessee can work their way back into that playoff picture, you know, kind of run that magical ride with Hendon Hooker and, and Jalen Hyatt, like that, that could be something that, you know, in April, like we see, and it's just, wow. But I, I wouldn't be over my skis on that. Like, you know, I think my opinion of Jalen Hyatt is, is kind of like my opinion of Gabe Davis. Like, I don't think he's out there making folks look silly like Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle are, right? Like, I mean, he's he's fast. He's really good. But he's he's in a, in a way that, like, Gabe Davis is um, a dynamic, you know, big play weapon. I, it's It's not one that he's necessarily supporting by himself on his own. And, and I think when he settles into an NFL field, if, if he's asked to, you know, to carry a wide receiver core by winning on the outside by himself and being that focal point, you know, I think he's going to be a little bit miscast. And so, you know, I think him going, you know, maybe he might go round one, but if he goes, you know, more on a, maybe even if he goes round one or, or round two, uh, to a team 
you know, that could really use that speed. Uh, that that's where I'll get a little bit more excited for him. Yeah. And I think Hyatt's elevation in the draft circuit is partially due to obviously the, the amazing year he's had, but it's also been the lackluster performance mm-hmm. from the other wide receivers. Right. And so we're kind of meeting this. He's just, he's, his performance has been so great that he has to be considered in the mix. Right. And that was what you were basically saying. The NFL loves speed. He's put together this monster year. He's done it against sec opponents. So with that happening, plus guys that we were expecting big things from not living up to expectations. He's got to be considered in the mix there for sure. Let's spin this over to Debbie Slane. And we've kind of talked about a couple guys. So I'm going to skip over Caleb Williams and Drake may. We talked about them maybe being more highly valued already than the 2024, uh, the 2023 quarterback class. I think from a dynasty, uh, from a fantasy perspective, I'd much prefer Caleb Williams or Drake may, uh, even though I had to wait an extra year, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd prefer them in, in Debbie circles than than uh, Stroud or Bryce Young. Uh, we we mentioned them before. Quinchon Junkins, you know, I think the question now becomes is like, how high should he be? Be how high should he be in Debbie running back ranks? With the same caveat is. Trayvon Henderson has only played five games this year due to injury. He's only had two good games. He hasn't been the guy that we thought was arguably, you know, the best running back in the country, basically not named B. John Robinson. You know, I I, I always struggle with this because we know the talent is special, but a year like this where he battles injuries, inconsistency, do we just keep betting on the talent and keep him high in the ranks? Obviously, he's going to be high in the ranks, but the question is, has others like Junkins and others deserve to be pushed ahead of him? So I think that's a discussion. I think Marvin Harrison has started to separate himself from the underclassman wide receiver mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I think he's the guy now uh, in, in terms of guys that I think I'd be most excited about in terms of underclassmen. And then obviously Brock, Brock Bowers is going to be such a fun study next year of can he push his way into – like Kyle Pitts discussion in terms of draft capital. Could he go top five, top 10, you know, or does he settle a little bit further in? We have a lot of time to discuss that. So those are the things that that, that I kind of wanted to bring up this week in the Debbie slant. We touched upon the quarterbacks already. So any thoughts, with, any further thoughts on Judkins or Trevion Henderson or anything with Marvin Harrison or, or Brock Bowers? Well, Caleb Williams is, you know, I just want to like really press the point. He's, he's your Debbie one Oh one, like, Again, I think we're looking at an extremely special prospect there. Um, and then I don't think we need to go. We've we've talked about these players a lot. Um, Judkins is, I think, a true freshman. So you're you're waiting a long time with him. And we still have, you know, players like Braylon Allen, you know, to to get in there too and, and see, you know, his seasons I've I've been monitoring, still pretty good. Um, you know, and Travion Henderson, you know, we will see something more from him. His story's not over. I do think he's profiles again more along the Travis Etienne type spectrum you know the more of the Eric rate but plus 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 you know a guy who's going to be more of the dynamic player and not necessarily you know one that you know like DeAndre Swift you're he's going to need a Jamal Char, uh, Jamal Williams kind of in you know in that backfield to kind of support him for the the tough yards but that doesn't mean he's not a good player so I think that's kind of where we're where I'm landing with all of those I don't know if Travion Henderson's my RB one in Debbie anymore, but I mean, he's, he's in a good conversation with a lot of other players, including Quinchon Judkins at this point. Yeah. I, I think, I think you, you're spot on there. Caleb Williams, 
and it's going to be fun to kind of, you know, we know USC, we know the offense Lincoln, Ken, uh, they're going to have there. It, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, like, we've seen these last year, the roller coaster, right? Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. This year, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud have held, held firm and held serve at the top, but this question marks have kind of, poked at them as the year has gone on. And then I think Caleb Williams and Drake may have kind of separated themselves as the underclassmen guys. But next year, like, you know, it could have Anthony Richardson. It may be a more right. developed Anthony Richardson. Ewers, right? There, there's more than, than just Caleb Williams and Drake May. And you had Ewers and Anthony Richardson to make. Those are all exciting fantasy assets, potentially, right? If they all materialize, they all have that rushing component. They all have that athleticism you know, the, that wave of, of what we get excited for in terms of fantasy. And also, I think, with NFL teams, we're, we're going to talk about them in a little bit, but, like, we're seeing now the development of Justin Fields at the next level, right? And and we're, we're seeing these guys who have that dual capabilities. It is what NFL teams are looking for right now. Like, they're not looking – and that's why I know we brought it up before, but that's what makes Bryce Young and T.J. Stroud conversation very interesting. Because they're not really what has been, you know, the wave of, of what NFL teams are looking for. So it, it's going to be a fascinating thing. Uh, and then next year, we said obviously a lot of time to break down Caleb Williams and Drake May, but I'm right there with you in terms one, of uh, one final Debbie yeah. note. It, Raheem Sanders is just one of those other running backs that yep. have worked their way up into that conversation next to Braylon Sand or you know Braylon and um, uh, Travion. Just, just somebody to. You know, I don't know. There's a way to sneak them. I'm, I'm sure whoever's got them knows, but or if you know your supplemental drafts are coming by, I don't doubt you'll be able to sneak them on. But that's one thing to, you know, if if everybody's kind of looking at all the other shiny toys, that that's one to, to you know keep on your radar as somebody who I think is going to make a big waves next year. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Uh, let's spin this over to the NFL side and let's go to the NFL rookie report. There's really two guys I want to bring up, uh, and that's. Rashad White and Christian Watson, mm. both of them had career games for their for them in terms of their rookie season. Rashad White uh, in the Munich game yesterday, twenty two carries, hundred and five yards. Uh, they won. They've been wanting to get him more involved. They were getting him involved yesterday, and then a Fournette injury. He really sees uh, opportunity there. Uh, Tampa Bay was run really good. You like to see that because, again, Rashad White is one of those guys who I think always profiled, from my perspective, as a guy who's an okay runner, but I thought his best asset was his pass-catching ability. So to see him be that good on on the ground, I think, gets excited about maybe long-term prospects of him, that maybe he could even be a more complete running back than than I maybe even gave him credit for. Uh, You know, I, I, I put him more, you know, more in the James Cook mold where I thought his best ass attribute was going to be his pass catching. And it still might be, uh, but you know, I was never under the belief that James Cook was going to be a guy who could get 22 carries in, a, in an NFL game. And Rashad White did it yesterday already. So I think that, you know, I know we had the, a different style body type and he's a bigger guy, but I just didn't think that's how he would profile at the next level. So it's nice to see that's in his repertoire. And then Christian Watson, four catches, 107 yards and three <laughs> touchdowns. I mean, that's what they drafted him for. That's what they made the bold trade up. Like we knew he wasn't a 
a polished receiver, a refined receiver, but he has that special trait in terms of his vertical speed. A lot of people have thrown out the comps to Martavius Bryant. They're kind mm-hmm. of pretty good comps, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, in terms of that straight speed, in terms of the the length, the ability to go up and high point it, right? But also not and refined. the drops and the, the drop, you know, not yeah. There's like a lot. There's Watson a lot of a, of comps there. Yeah, Watson had a couple of drops this game, and and Rogers kept going his way, which is that's kind of the encouraging part there. I, he's he's really raw. He's fast and hard to cover and dynamic, and will make plays. And you know, we've seen such an inept Green Bay offense, you know, and it hasn't really featured Watson because I mean he's been dealing with a lot of injuries. You know, he's out there for the game and he's making plays. And, you know, I think they got, what, 31 points or something, won a game. Like, maybe he's the antidote that yeah, that Green Bay's really needed. So it could be, you know, on a on a trajectory up here to finally deliver on, you know, the hype that people had for him going in. I, I mean, I'll still hold my reservations. Like, I'm not, I'm not elevating them over guys like Pickens. I'm not elevating them over guys like... I mean, I guess a good question would be, you know, let me just touch on White real quick, and then I'll I'll pass that question off. Yeah. I, I I think if you listen to Twitter, it's it's a done deal, and and I'm a pretty big skeptic because I don't think they're moving on from Leonard Fournette, but it is a non-zero chance that White is takes over and becomes your league winner. So it you know you have to be able to prioritize and see that that potential outcome on the way. Although I'll probably project it moving forward as you know a timeshare which is kind of weird to think about for tom brady and and tampa bay but i I think that's what we're going to see there so the question i was going to hit you hit you with paul is is you know we've seen traylon burke struggle a bit have injuries for a bit you know if you're elevating we're shuffling the receivers a lot you know i think you know we've got alave wilson london all up there as possible superstars to be honest with you and, you know, I know we think we look a lot uh Pickens is going to be very good. You know, maybe, you know, I, I'd still probably hold out some hope for Jamison Williams, maybe if, if I'm still rounding out a top five. But, you know, notable absent name there is uh, Traylon Burks and maybe even Jahan Dotson, if you, you know, kind of want to lump them in there. Like, does Watson elevate himself in 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 your kind of thoughts and opinions of of where you would rank them? relative to those other rookie receivers, Dotson and and Burks, or are you still kind of with me where you're more willing to, you know, take the stab with that round one draft capital? Yeah, for for no listen, he has high he has high enough draft capital that early round two with a bold trade up. I don't I don't devalue him too much for that. I do think though, and again, maybe he can prove us me and other people wrong. I still think he profiles best as a number two wide receiver. And I think Green Bay might even know that even as he emerges, I think they'll still be in the market to get another guy and maybe even in the free agent market to kind of be their lead guy. Cause I just don't know if Watson profiles to be that guy who's going to run the full route tree, who's going to, you know, beat, you know, top level DBs. Listen, he hadn't done much prior to this game. Let's see now if he can follow this up 
with more performances because now you know D coordinators are, are going to be ready for him, right? They're not, they're going to watch this game and they're going to say, okay, now he now he's done something. Now we got to pay attention to him. Where before this, it was, yeah, he's that rookie who's got speed, but he's done absolutely nothing this whole year. So now he'll start to get more attention. I still think he profiles best as a number two long-term, not a guy who could emerge into Green Bay's number one. In terms of fantasy, I still would want those other guys. And it's just, I just think they're more complete players, right? I think I think Jahan Dotson is a more complete player. I think Traylon Burks, you know, he's got a lot of refinement to do as well. But I still think he could profile as a guy who could be the lead receiver on a team. I'm just not sure Christian Watson is that. Like, I think, you know, if he's not Mardell's, if he's not Valdez Scantling or Martavius, like, I think he's going to be somewhere in that world, better than Valdez Scantling, maybe as good as Martavius Bryant was when he was playing his best. Could he emerge above that? I think that's the question mark that 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 I still have my reservations on. So I'd put the Burks and Dotson ahead of him. I do think you can start to say maybe he should be ahead of Sky Moore, who has not been able to really work his way into that depth chart. They're both round two draft capital. They're both attached to good quarterbacks. Obviously Mahomes is much younger, but you know, Casey went out and got Tony, you know, that I think might be a little bit of an indictment on sky Moore. I'm not saying it's a huge one. We had that conversation on the trade deadline show. Uh, it's very possible that Tony and sky Moore are the top two wide receivers next year when Miko Harmon and Juju not signed past this year. Uh, but I think Watson to Sky Moore is the question. As much as I like Wandell, I think the ceiling of Watson is much higher. So I would definitely say, you know, Watson over Wandell. Uh, but but I think I think him and Sky Moore is the conversation right now. Not yet him to Traylon and Dotson. But I'm sure other people look at it differently. Other people had Watson, you know, ahead of Dotson before this year even started. So those people are probably going to say Watson. Uh, so I, I think it kind of depends on where you started and maybe my opinion changes if, you know, if this was the real breakout and this was the start of Watson putting up somewhat good performances the rest of the year, obviously he's not going to do this every week, but just if he continues to be a factor every single game and teams are paying attention to him and he still delivers, well, then I think you got to start to recognize that, that maybe there's, there was more. Uh, you know, to his game. So I, it's going to be fun to watch because he's a, he's a young player. He's an exciting player uh, and, and Green Bay needed it. So we'll kind of see where it goes from here. Uh, the only other two names I wanted to bring up to close out the rookie report are, I do think the lack of passing and the inconsistency in the past offense is going to open a small window for Drake London, who's not going to have these gaudy rookie stats compared to some other people that I do think if, if their situation was different, I, I think he would be a guy generating a lot more buzz. He did for like a week or two early in the year. And then it's been very quiet, but that's a really, I think more product of Atlanta and how few pass attempts. So I do see a scenario where I could easily sell myself on no matter what rookie pick I had, if I was planning on taking a wide receiver, could I spin it for Drake London? And I think, and this, this was, this was a guy who had Drake London fifth last year. So this wasn't even a guy, I'm not even a guy who was, you know, 
absolutely in love with Drake London, but I like what I saw from early in the year. I like his upside. I think I'd much rather Drake London than any of the wide receivers coming out in next year's rookie drafts. And I think if he has a very ho-hum statistical year, which he's going to at this point, I think you could probably take your fifth rookie pick overall and trade him for Drake London because people are always more excited about the new shiny weapon. So I do think there's going to be an opportunity to to maybe go buy Drake London, and I think that might be a good purchase to buy because things are going to change there in that Atlanta. This is not going to be what they are you know, moving forward. And as questions have arisen over Kyle Pitts, that might even mean there's more meat on the bone for a guy like Drake London to be the clear alpha where when he was first drafted, we said, oh, the offense is going to run through Pitts and Drake London. Well, Pitts now still has to show. I mean, this is year two and he hasn't seized, you know, a major, major, you know, you know, dominance as what we thought we were going to see from him. And I'm still, you know, keeping the light on for him. I still think he's going to be great. Uh, but I do think there's at least now some question marks there as well. So I like that. And then Isaiah Pacheco, I thought was interesting was Edwards Hilaire had no rushes this past week. Like it looks like Pacheco is, is now seized control of, of the running responsibilities in that backfield, which is just wild from a late round rookie. I know, I remember you talking to, to Matt Wallman about him because he was one of Wallman's guys and, and to see him on a Super Bowl contender, maybe the favorite, you know, in the AFC with, with the struggles that the Bills have ran into of a late round rookie pick as seized the job from the first round rookie pick from a couple of years ago, to me, is kind of wild. I wouldn't be going crazy in any fantasy world. We know late day redraft capital does not mean much. Uh, I can totally see Casey looking to revamp the running back room uh, after this year. Jeff, any thoughts on London or Pacheco before we close it out with a quick uh, NFL Dynasty stock report? Yeah, I mentioned London very briefly along with um, Garrett Wilson and, you know, Chris Olave is just, I think they're on a track to being superstars, you know, and, and the easiest time to get those are now before they actually, you know, turn into the Justin Jefferson's and Jamar chases that are almost unobtainable. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for Pacheco, it, it says less to me about Pacheco, which I mean, it's not not to take anything away from them, but you know there's still going to be McKinnon there, and I honestly I wouldn't be super surprised if Ceh factors in again. But it's really just an indictment on you know Edwards Alaire's integration or lack thereof in Casey's offense, and I, I do think he'll probably float in on a couple games and and have some responsibilities, and it seems like even in the red zone that they might have some plays for him. So, you know, he might, he might hit a little bit here or there, but it's really, you know, it's really a clear signal that they've kind of started to move on and, and they're ready to move on. And, you know, we're, we should probably expect to see more investment in that position for, for the chiefs uh, this off season. And, you know, maybe it'll just take that little, spin as we're talking about Clyde Edwards Alaire and and just kind of maybe spin it into you know more other fellow dynasty NFL stock reports where you know we're talking a little bit about more established vets um just keep it in KC and go Kadarius Tony because I know that's always our favorite topic right mm-hmm. and um look he you know I actually took my took a chance and put him in a couple lineups this weekend because I got hurt by injuries. I'm hit. I'm looking at him or like, like say a McKenzie or something along those lines. And I saw, uh, 
Nicole Hardman, you know, was out, you know, this weekend, some, I think an abdominal or something like that. And, and I, I was just racking my brain. I was like, who is going to fill that role best? And I didn't think it was Sky Moore. And I think Kadarius Tony just, you know, fits not, I mean, we're, I don't think we're calling McCole Hardman a gadget anymore. And I don't think Tony played as a gadget player, but you know, to be able to stretch the field horizontally, to be able to make some dynamic movements, um, really spread the field. I think that's that's what they needed to see from Tony this game. And especially when Juju went out. And I mean, Tony just stepped up and delivered. And I think the hardest question to me still is, you know, will Tony's maturity hold him back? Can he, he couldn't buy in in a day ball system. I, I still, regardless of how good Tony looks and how, bad desperately the the giants you know probably wish they had him on the field for them but he wasn't buying in and he wasn't going to there and just the biggest question would be at does his you know does his off the field at any point hold him back because i think if it doesn't he's um he's on a on the trajectory to be what we had hoped he'd be in an even better scenario with Patrick Mahomes. And, and I think that that that's an absolutely exciting prospect. And if you held true with the talent and just took that shot, and I did pick him up somewhere uh, as a, just a toss in, you know, I think I, I shelled off Zamir white to kind of get him in there. Um, I think you've, you've got a very high potential uh, player that you know you might even be able to spot start now but could really emerge as a you know regular you know highlights contributor that we see week in week out yeah and i i think i think the fantasy scope of it should be very similar to what kansas city's philosophy was was he is he's not going to cost you high premium asset in dynasty. No, you could have someone maybe who loves them as much as I do. And maybe you're not gonna be able to get them then, but, but a more, more reasonable, rational approach would be that if you come in with a pretty good offer, you probably can still get him right now. And I think the rewards outweigh the risk, just like KC thought the rewards outweighed a third round pick. And maybe in dynasty it would cost you around two pick, whatever the case may be. I still think the time would be sooner rather than later because he puts another game or two on the board. Like last week, you're going to see his stock because he's attached to Mahomes and that KC offense. It's going to be a lot harder to get him. And we don't know if the immaturity and, 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 and the character and the attitude stuff eventually does derail him or does he does the light bulb kind of go on it was it something with new york was it the way the coaches or or coaches didn't build a relationship with him and maybe andy Reid immediately has maybe patrick mahomes you know that different level of respect for playing with arguably the best quarterback in the league you know just kind of makes him realize that now like you know i gotta get my act together this is my best shot now to get a major payday down the line like and, and he keeps his head on straight, but but you also saw Kansas City again. He didn't play a ton. I think there, I think it was forty one percent of the of the of the pass. Snap. There was a number. Dwayne McFarland put it out. It was forty one percent. I don't know if it was forty one percent of all the offensive snaps or forty one percent of the passing down. I, I don't know exactly what it was. It was forty one percent something. 
but of the percentage he was out there, he was heavily involved. And I think that's the thing. Kansas City knows that this is not a receiver you're going to bring there and keep happy and keep interested if you're not going to find a way to make him an integral part of the offense. So I think they do have big plans. We saw right literally the first drive of the first game. He caught the first pass, and it was just a simple screen pass. But I think that was their way of saying, we want you here. We're going to find ways to make this work. We're going to get you touches, and then we're going to build off of that. And they probably had to do it more out of necessity this week because of the Nicole injury, because Juju left the game. Valdez Scantlin left the game, which it also looked like he had a concussion, but he was able to come back in. So there were a lot of factors this week that opened the door for Kadarius Tony, but then what he was able to do with it, I think now opens the door for more to be built upon as the year goes on. So I do think the investment would be get him sooner rather than later. He's not going to cost you around one rookie pick. So I think then the upside is well worth it compared to, listen, look at all the question marks we have about this wide receiver class. Think about the wide receivers in the rookie in rookie drafts that might go in round two. Wouldn't you rather have Kadarius Tony than anybody who might be in round two? Like we have question marks on who even belongs in round two in the NFL actual draft, let alone rookie draft. So guys who are in the top 50 are all going to probably go in round one of rookie drafts. So we're talking about guys who are going to fall to late round two or, or day three, or I mean, or round three or something like that. And I'd much rather take my chance with Tony o- over those guys. So I think that would be a move to make sooner rather than later. Uh, Jeff, let me bring up two other guys before we, we round out with some quarterback talk. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, it looks like stock up right now. I think he's an interesting guy to buy right now. Uh, with the percept, uh, We're on the verge of having Deshaun Watson come back. Uh, I think Peoples-Jones is emerging a little bit. And I don't think he's going to be a major fantasy force ever, but he could be a guy that eventually with Deshaun Watson – you know, emerges into a wide receiver four or five type in dynasty leagues and deep dynasty leagues. I think that's worth something. Uh, he's been coming on of late. I know, you know, he was a guy that Matt loved and we talk about a lot here on Saturday, Sunday. Uh, so it was nice to see him have a good week this week. And he's kind of stacked together some decent performances this year with Jacoby Brissett, which I think opens the, the, the door a little bit for being excited about Deshaun Watson. And then I'll keep saying this because I, I, I don't think people are as high on him as me, but I do truly believe there's a there's a window out there where in the after this year, I would not if the situation breaks right, I really do think Tony Pollard could be could be Austin Eckler for a couple of years. And I know that is the ceiling scenario, but I don't think it's I there's a less than zero percent chance. I mean, there's a much greater than zero percent chance. That 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 could happen. I do think their skill sets are very comparable. He's just been buried there in that Dallas offense because of Jerry Jones. That I think right now, this year, especially after Ezekiel Elliott gets back, if there's a window where you can be aggressive to get Tony Pollard, I think whether it's in Dallas or with another team, he's going to be an integral part of an offense much more than he's been for Dallas. And every time he gets an opportunity in Dallas, he delivers RB one production. I think that's his kind of upside. I, I want him on any dynasty team I can get him. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to ask me who I'd rather go for, it's Donovan Peoples-Jones because, one, he's going to be cheaper. And I think it's been a couple months since he's had less than 50 receiving yards. And I, I think if you, you just – I've got images of Watson in my head doing bombs to Brandon Cooks and, and Will Fuller. And I think that would fit Peoples-Jones 
skill set pretty well. So I think uh, that'd be where I'd go because I'm I'm willing. I'm not willing to invest. I think in Pollard, what it'll take, especially after the last couple games. I just, you know, I think people who've got him like him. They certainly know what he's done lately. I mean, we saw we saw that even in that first game without Zeke that he, he kind of capped out at 14 touches. Now I know he had like 22 this last game, but you know, I, I think he was, he was spelled because he was, he was getting worn down. He couldn't be, he couldn't be an 80%, you know, opportunity share guy that game. And, and it, you know, he admittedly from himself, you know, he needed somebody else there. So I just, I don't know if I see, Austin Eckler happening. I, I think he's again, like it's going to be, you know, he's going to get high value dynamic touches um, because that's what suits him well. Um, And so I, I do think from a fantasy usable asset perspective, like he's there. I just, I don't know that I'm willing to, to make the bet that he's going to rise into RB one status somewhere and even if he does it's in my mind it's for a year because i i think you'll see it for a year kind of like when we saw like Kenyon drake you know everybody got really excited about Kenyon drake for a while right and free Kenyon drake and then he had that one year or like a half two half years with arizona um you know in half a year with miami half a year with arizona something like that where you know he he was that guy for a minute and and had a great season and then, you know, and then in comes James Conner and and they just, it wasn't enough that they wanted to rely on that as a team. And and that's, I see it more following those lines. You know, is it a, you know, is it that Kenyon Drake style? And there was, you know, the guy before him too, you know, there was a couple of them. And I think there was one for the Texans and, you know, we see it a couple times here and there. And I think you're much more likely to see that than you see Michael Turner, basically. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I maybe maybe I've been waiting a while, and as he gets his opportunities, I think that's what he could be. But it's gonna be interesting. It also will depend a lot on, you know, where he ends up. Does Dallas move on from Ezekiel Elliott and makes him the focal point with another piece obviously coming in? Because, but I'm okay with that, right? Even if he, you know, had early career or mid-career Alvin Kamara usage, not the one now where they sometimes feed him 20, 22 touches. Like if he's somewhere where he's getting like 15 to 16 touches, see, I think that's reasonable, 15 to 16 touches. I think he could handle that. I think if he was to get 15 to 16 touches, he'd be an RB1. But maybe yeah, I, I, I think, think that's, that's got to be, that's almost, that's like 250 on the year, right? Like So that's probably more than he's going to, necessarily get on a season um but you know i think at times and when opportune you know that's probably what you're going to get i just i think the best way that i would be interested in in getting pollard is if i was squeezing him into a bigger deal you know making making a bigger move for a bigger name and overpaying for that name you know whether that's you know a couple firsts for mark andrews or something along those lines and then you're like well you know, I know I'm overpaying here. Can you put Pollard into this this deal and let's get it done? That mm-hmm. that's kind of how I would try to get that through. Yeah, and and I don't have a good read on what it would take, but like straight up for Pollard, like in terms of draft compensation, you know, I, I don't know the right number because you know, people are very tight about trading first round picks. Uh I'd be inclined to potentially give up a late 
round one rookie pick. I don't know if that's aggressive. I, I don't know. I don't have a good read on, on what the industry thinks of Tony Pollard in terms of his draft value right now. Uh, if it was just talking on the picks side of it, because there there is unknown, right? It's the same thing with Alexander Madison, who would be another guy I'd be strongly advising to buy because I'm going out on a limb saying these guys are going to be starting running backs next year somewhere and get their opportunity finally. We know that's not, it doesn't always happen, right? We haven't seen a lot of that. I think these are two unique cases where they've kind of had a bite their, by their time it, behind guys who are, you know, great players for you know, i don't think ezekiel it's great anymore but dalvin's still pretty great um so it's one of those things where you're kind of buying what they could be in their new home but is their new home is there a new home waiting or is everyone just think oh we can go to the draft and get cheaper volume you know and cheaper contract and the guy who's 21 and then does that leave them without a clear home in terms of an ideal landing spot i think that's the question uh but I know Pollard and Madison are two of my guys. I'm kind of intrigued uh, to get them because I do think they're they're going to be starting running backs and guys who could flirt with that RB1 to mid-RB2 range uh, next year. So we'll follow it. I know I'm a little bit higher. We'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. And then, Jeff, let's round it out with some quarterback discussion here because stock way, way down is Russell Wilson and the Denver wide receivers. And stock up is Tua and what he's done this year in every game he started. Obviously, the wide receivers, nothing needs to be said. They're both in the – if they're not in people's top eight, I'll say. I guess I'll stretch it out to eight just in case. I, Waddle's higher than that for me. If, if those two guys aren't in your top eight or even if we say top ten, I, I don't know you know, what the dynasty rank – the dynasty rank's got to be revisited at the wide receivers. But Tua – Stock way up, especially connected to those guys. Russell Wilson, I don't know what to make of his year, but it's 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 killing the value of the Denver wide receivers. And then Justin Fields. I mean, we've been waiting for this, right? We were we were big fans of him here at Saturday Sunday, and we just kept screaming, "Let him do, build an offense for him." And I don't know why it eventually happened, but all of a sudden, like four or five weeks ago, they finally started doing things to help. The a help the process and the development of Justin Fields, and we have seen him over the last couple of weeks basically morph into second year Lamar Jackson ish in terms of pretty close the yeah. running the running capability mixed in some good throwing obviously a lot of development still to be on the passing side of it so I didn't want to say current Lamar Jackson because I think current Lamar Jackson is a better passer at this stage of his career but we've basically seen him morph into over the last month or so very early career Lamar Jackson and it's been fun to watch and I think the the evolution has started and I think there's a lot more meat on the bone because I think as a pure passer I thought he was a better pure passer in college than Lamar was so I think I do think there's there's plenty of development to still be done in terms of passing getting Chase Claypool up to speed give them another weapon maybe next next off season. So you pair Mooney with Claypool with somebody else and Cole Komet, you know, and you kind of go and then continue to, you know, develop him. But his stock's got to be way up there. Mm-hmm. I haven't redone Dynasty uh, overall ranks. I'm, I'm due for a major upgrade. Uh, and I'm interested to kind of see where I kind of slide fields uh, because I was obviously earlier in the year when I did it, he had to be moved way down. But now he's got to, it's got to go completely the other way. Yeah, I think I, I'll have to look at where he landed for me. But you're right; it, 
I think we got on the just a few weeks in and we said, you know, Chicago is just absolutely doing a disservice to him. I think they listened something like that. Maybe, maybe they heard our podcast. I did, I did send it <laughs> to them. Um, no, I just, you know, they probably realized that, you know, either their jobs were on the line or, or maybe they just, they said, Hey, look, we're going to try to mold them into what, what we envision our starting quarterback to be realized that that wasn't going to work. And then just said, all right, well, you know, let's at least try to reclaim what we, you know, something out of this. Let's look at, and I think they said, I think that's what they did. They, they said they looked at Baltimore and they're like, okay, let's, let's steal some of those plays. And then as soon as, as soon as they implement those in first game plan, boom, it's working. And, you know, relative to sophomore Lamar, you know, I think he has better arm talent. I really do. It's just Lamar has always been an extremely cerebral player. He's got so much going, you know, between the ears that fields hasn't developed yet. And, we'll see if he if he gets there. It, that's the hardest part to really predict the growth that you see in that manner. And I think you'll get there as long as an, a franchise is patient with you and willing to kind of build up with you the way that, you know, the Ravens did with Lamar or the Eagles are doing with Hurts, right? And you know, I those are the easy comps because of them, you know, because of them as runners, but you know, I think we might even be able to look at other spots within the league. I think Tua has been a good example of, you know, a, an organization who has been patient with their quarterback and willing to, you know, ride through a few ups and downs and support them and and help them grow. So I, you know, I at this point in time, you cannot. I mean, I always, you know, a few weeks in, we said. You know, they are just tanking this thing and, you know, they have no interest in Justin Fields. And then like two months later, we're like, oh, man, like I, I was going to say they're committed to Justin Fields now. How, how can you not be? But, you know, if they're if they I don't know th- their decision making's too flip floppy for me. So I, I don't know that I could go in all in like that. But I do think what we're seeing is it's an exciting offense. And I just I think we're seeing something like the birth of something exciting here. Um, and and I would be willing to make a bold bet and just say like, this guy's, this guy's the next fantasy superstar, right? Um, man, I wish Matt was on, the, on this one <laughs> with us because you, you know that he'd have so much to say about this. Um, I will but say, I will say this one is why thing, you though. don't give up on the belief of your talent, right? Exactly. Like you just can't give up on that. And I think there's even a bigger element here and you just kind of hit on it. Everything Chicago did, every single decision they made from last year, other regime to now the new regime, every decision they made in free agency, every decision they made in the draft and every decision they made through the first five or six weeks of this season basically said, we don't believe in Justin Fields. We have major reservations of whether or not we even want him to be our quarterback. They did nothing in the offseason to try to help him and support him. They came out, you know, and in first five weeks of the season, they basically tried to just hide him and not throw the ball at all. They, similar to last year's uh, coaching staff. They didn't really want him running. They weren't really do- calling a lot of design runs. They weren't doing much RPOs. And then for whatever reason, they changed their mind. It's hard for us to know why. Why did it take so long? But I, I do think the bigger picture is 
we assume that these guys who their livelihood is coaching will, would put guys in position to be successful and meet their and, and create offenses and schemes to cater to the talents of their players they have. But not everybody does. Not every coaches do. For whatever reason, it's an impossible to understand why. But I think this is at a much bigger picture. You can't, you can't be so stuck in one mindset and one offense when you have a certain player. Like you have to adapt, right? Brian Dable doesn't want to run the ball 42 times a football game. He doesn't. But he does because he knows that's what he's got to do right now at the New York Giants. That's their only way that they could have a, a functioning offense based on the lack of skill players they have. And if they did, if they had different offensive players, they would be doing a very different scheme. This is not what Brian Dable wants for sure. You can't put a young player, you can't draft a young player. And this goes for any quarterback that's going to be drafted soon. Or, and then not put him in position to be successful by, by catering to their strengths. This should have been the offense for Justin Fields from last year. Until and then get him comfortable in the league and then start expanding upon it. It's like they wanted to be like, no, last year and then this year's regime wanted to be like, we are going to make you a pocket passing quarterback. And if you get good at that, then maybe we'll let you do some running stuff. And that's not the way it works. It should be the other way. Get him comfortable, get him on the move, get him running, get him doing things with his legs. And then maybe it opens up parts of the passing game, which is exactly what has happened over the last month or so. It's exactly how Lamar Jackson became a superstar. So you hope as more young quarterbacks are set to enter the league in, in April, you know, after next year's draft, teams realize what they can bring and cater to that to start their career and then expand upon it. Because I do think a lot of quarterbacks fail. Some of it's their own doing for sure. But also I think some of it's the situation that, that the coaches put them in, not trying to cater to their strengths. Uh, and I think Justin Fields is the perfect scenario. And now I'm sure they're buying all in. But but why did it take so long? Why did the first five weeks of the season play out the way they did? It's fascinating to know. I don't think Justin Fields dramatically changed in practice that all of a sudden they decided we could totally run a different thing. He always had the athleticism. He always had the speed. That, could, that should have been a staple of this team since the first week of the season. Should have been a staple of the last regime and last year when he was a rookie. It just never was for, for whatever reason. But, yeah, he's on, he's on the trajectory to, I think, be a fantasy superstar. So anybody that kind of got him that two years ago in their rookie drafts, been sitting on probably a lot of uneasiness, is starting to finally see the, the rewards uh, pay off. So, Jeff, any final thoughts here to, to round out the night? No, I'm just really giddy that Justin Fields is like, you know, just taking the league by storm and being your fantasy superstar that we always hoped he would. I'm, I'm giddy. So, yeah, and, and and I do think I do think at the top there's a little bit there's a little bit of uneasiness in a little bit more shakiness in that top six, and I think maybe we thought there was going to be right. There's some questions about Kyler Murray. There's some questions about Justin Herbert. There's, you know, there's, you know, Jalen Hurts has answered the bell this year, but there's a little bit. I'm not saying Justin Fields is going to be on that level yet, but the door is, the door is not slammed shut. It's open. It's open a little bit that if Justin Fields can continue to develop, be that running star, but then also develop the passing game similar to Lamar, 
there's room for him to join that party in that top six or seven in the Dan- in the dynasty circles. There just is. Mm. And anyone who doesn't think that is, is just being a little naive. We can't have Kyler Murray there and not think that Justin Fields can't get there. We can't well, have Justin Herbert there and not think that Justin Fields can push his way there we, as we're seeing a lot of inconsistency from both those two young players who have major upside, but we're seeing a lot of inconsistency this year from both we, those guys. We should use Kyler Murray as, as I think a good example, or a cautionary tale of just getting too over our skis. Cause I do remember a time last year, maybe about a year ago or a little bit less than where, you know, their conversation was, is Kyler Murray our QB one overall in, in dynasties because he was, you know, an MVP candidate. And again, you know, my, my, what I preached there was, you know, development isn't linear and development is not going to take this predictable arc where you see Justin Fields make giant leaps. They're not just going to keep coming. He's going to hit ruts. He's going to have challenges. And, you know, I think Kyler Murray is a really good example of that. And we don't know how the quarterbacks will really be able to react to those challenges. And, and it can, it can really kind of sputter a career it can hold you back for a year or two until all of a sudden you're like geno smith and you finally get your shot again and then like playing like a top you know 12 15 quarterback in the league again i it's it's one of those ones where it's what makes following players within the nfl and why i find fantasy and dynasty fantasy football because you follow the players careers and the stories as they unfold that's what makes it super exciting for me, but it also, it's unpredictable. It's hard. And and you do have to a- approach this with a, some merit of skepticism or, you know, hedging your beliefs here and there. And as much as, you know, like this, I will have fields is probably a top 10 quarterback, but it's one of those ones where would I be surprised if he hits some challenges and, you know, isn't able to do what he's able, what he's been doing for a while. I mean, remember Lamar hit those too, right? Everybody, you know, Lamar had his MVP season and then, you know, there was like the playoff loss and then people started, you know, raising some questions. And I think he came out slow to start the next year. And then everybody thought, well, maybe he got figured out. And then, you know, we've seen Lamar flash in superstardom before. And and then again, go into ruts, you know, when he doesn't have any pass catchers and, you know, I don't know if Chicago is going to be able to nail, you know, the right free agent or draft pick pass catcher to support him. Because right now, Fields is doing it basically with his legs. There's really, it's not that Mooney and Komet and, you know, Claypool are bad options, but they're not going to be a top, you know, they're much closer to a bottom five, bottom 10 receiving core than they are a top five, you know, they're, they're below average. And all of that really matters when we when it comes into the equation. Yeah, and and the one thing we'll we'll close it out here is listen, they just traded away their best defensive player. So we know there's a lot of rebuilding to do. But this fo- this offseason, the focus has to be on 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 what can we do to continue Justin Fields' development and then down the line say the following year maybe we worry about the defense. So what does that mean? Fix the offensive line. A couple of their a free agent and a first or second round pick should be invested in the offensive line. And then they got to go get another receiver, which goes back to, I have a lot of reservations about the early second round draft capital they sent for Chase Claypool. Cause you're sitting here saying, Oh, they have Chase Claypool and they have, you know, Darnell Mooney, but it's still a bottom tier. Well, you trade an early second round pick for a receiver. You shouldn't consider yourself still being in the bottom, right? 
too many good receivers get traded for early, you know, uh, early second round draft capital close to a first round pick. They, they still got to go out and get another receiver, but it's like, okay, you have Mooney, you have Claypool. They got to get another one. They got to get somebody else to, in the receiving room. And then they got to, they got to get some offensive line help. That that's what they, that should be the whole focus of Chicago's off season. One more receiver who a guy who could be a good receiver, maybe not great, but at least a good receiver, give him three good receivers, hopefully in Mooney Claypool and somebody else. And then two good offensive linemen, whether that's a free agent and a first round pick, because they don't have the early second round pick. However, it has to work out. They got to hit the free agency, I think, for two big pieces and then their first round pick. Because those are their three. Yeah, a third round pick. Yeah, okay. But that's not going to move the needle. They can get a a good role player. But they got to look at it as free agency and the first round. Those are their means of really supporting Justin Fields this offseason. I think they need two guys in free agency, then their first round pick. And it should all be in helping build up around Justin Fields. And then you worry about the defense maybe a year down the line after you give him the pieces to continue his growth because he's going to be what matters most to that franchise in terms of turning this around for the long haul. So it's a fun conversation. I'm glad we're talking about Justin Fields. I'm hope we're having this exact same conversation next year with Trey Lance out there on the Bay. I know. Because we, we, we need these. We need these. That draft class was supposed to give us the young wave It'll of, happen. Of, of quarterback prospects. Trey Lance and, will be and, there. And we'll see. We'll see if we can get Lance there next year. Fields continues growing, and, and we'll see. Uh, you know, we almost should consider it as Trevor Lawrence's rookie year based on the debacle that was last year in Jacksonville. So maybe maybe Lawrence can get there as well. So, guys, if you're enjoying what we're, we're putting out here on the podcast, please get over to the website, SS Football. Quickest and easiest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab. And for $9.99, you can get access to all our premium notebooks. It is this the best way to support the show and help us to continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. So, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.